episode 304 of Global from Asia, searching for Shangri-La. And no, we're not talking about a hotel. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download, stream, or however get this audio feed into your earbuds. Speaking of earbuds, I just had... I'm kind of like a teacher here in Shenyang, China with my kids. Got some app a friend told me about, and today was the human body, so ears was one of them, eyes and ears, and... It's a kind of fun little thing. It's I even learned a couple of things about uh, the human body today and take a little bit of interactive games. It's still truly wild that there's no school. It's kind of like snow days when I was a kid, but for months on end, these kids, my son even thinks school is done for him forever. He thinks he's finished with school. Insane. Well, this uh, This generation of kids will be older and they'll be talking about what they were doing and during the COVID-19 outbreak or COVID-2020 right now. And today's show is also about this as always, but um, Lawrence here, he is a, he is a ex-lawyer, a hotshot lawyer from Hong Kong, American in Hong Kong that followed his passion and followed what he felt was right uh, back in the early 2000s and went searching for Shangri-La and, and uh, had a, quite the journey and he's he's feeling like this whole COVID-19 stuff maybe was a long, you know, uh, so a wake-up call for the rest of us to also follow their dreams or to be kinder to earth or more about environment and sustainability. And we have a really interesting conversation learning about his project Shambhala project or Shangri-La and his journey and insights about more mindset stuff, kind of maybe a little bit of continuation from last week's Ching Zhou interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It's it's a very um, thought-provoking conversation. Hopefully it gets all of us to think more about things in life than just money and business. I know maybe this is a business podcast and maybe you guys are like, what's up with these crazy interviews, Mike? But this one is, uh, I hope you enjoy. Lawrence is an amazing, very intelligent person in Beijing that uh, shares some very interesting insights. Let's tune in. So we've completed four group buys at loadpipe.com, L-O-A-D-P-I-P-E.com. It's something I've been had, I've had this domain since 2007, and it's been something I've wanted to do since I came to China to help people put together their, their orders to be bigger buyer from factories, have more influence and control and interaction so we're doing also webinars for loadpipe.com slash webinar it's a little bit separate from global asia we are separating the two we have different partners and potential investors there and it's something we're working on really hard if you want to check it out and learn more about this group buying from factories direct go to www.loadpipe.com thank you so thank you all for choosing to listen to another global from asia podcast uh, this show, I'm really excited to have uh, with us today, Lawrence Brom. He's he's a veteran in China and Asia business and uh, culture. He's uh, we also have an amazing video recording today with Lawrence, and 
He was just in a, he's really, what I know is the search for Shangri-La and he's doing amazing things with his studio and his, his uh, really trying to help get, especially with this whole COVID-19 pandemic, trying to get the world to ch change their mindset, right? Would you say, or? We have to change the mindset, of course. And, you know, I spent years doing these expeditions searching for Shangri-La, which is really a misspelling of a term called Shambhala. Okay. And in the legend of Shambhala, we have this, this story about, you know, sort of what they call the age of Kali or the age of destruction when in, in the, the prophecies talk about uh, pandemics and destruction of the environment and a time when greed is the main principle driving mankind that causes a lot of uh, infighting and the, the, the sort of pretty much the situation we're in now. And Shambhala is that sort of age of Aquarius that's supposed to follow. When we get our heads back together and we realize that we have to be thinking about everything from a really multi-dimensional point of view. Everything's interconnected. The environment's interconnected. Health is interconnected. And business can be a driver for those things. Business can be a source of and finance of driving new technologies for environment, for healthcare, for addressing something like this pandemic mm -hmm. or it can be used to be the source of these problems. And it's really up to us and our intention and how we apply that intention to make the difference. Sure, sure. So this is fascinating. Before we get so deep into it, I'd love to hear your story. You're, you were, um, you came to China as in 1981, I believe, as a, an exchange student, was that? Yeah, it's really interesting because I came in 81, and if we remember, U.S.-China relations were formalized by Jimmy Carter, Deng Xiaoping back in 79. So I was really the second yeah. wave of foreign students to come here. I mean, it was just really the beginning. And, you know, I look back on those times and see where we've come in building the relationship between these two powers, these two giants on opposite sides of the globe. And of course, there have been ups and downs, hills and valleys. There have been rough times. There have been better times. But now we're in a really bad time. Mm -hmm. And really a time for, I guess, us veterans, people like myself, like you, people have been around here for a long time to reach out across borders. Yeah. Something like coronavirus knows no borders, knows no ideology, has no politics. It's a threat to us all. And it's really trying to find ways in which we can have collaboration beyond politics that can really be not only a way to defeat this virus and other challenges ahead, like climate, which is going to be hitting us just as badly yeah. in the in years ahead, and to be able to do it working together. And I think it's really now time for us to rise above all of that. But unfortunately, right now, because of politics, this relationship has probably gone into a valley rather than being in a peak. We've got to get it out of that valley. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I like your idea, your, what you said is there's no borders for this virus, right? As much as we want to think it's a political thing or, or whatever, it's, uh, it's everywhere and we have to deal with it now. Um, about your story, so, you know, you, I read your China Daily article, which we'll also include with the show notes for today. For those that also, I recommend to read it. You originally were working with in Hong Kong, 
as a lawyer for a while, and you you said in your article, which I'd love to hear some more on, is you kind of got tired of these huge multinational corporations that were really just doing it for profit only, not for the environment, not for the not for the society, right? I mean, sure. I I was a I was a lawyer for major multinational corporations. I mean, you know, a lot of big industrial companies. And at the time, as a lawyer, I think. You know, I saw an investment come in. I saw suddenly people had jobs. There was suddenly, you know, employment. There was suddenly some technology transfer. There was suddenly some industry. And we thought we were doing something good. And then I sat back and I realized it's not that good. It's creating a lot of side effects. It's creating tremendous uh, damage to the environment. Uh, very often the people would be fired after they were, you know, the joint venture was done and they would bring in new people. Um, and what I think what disturbed me is very often the core management, the executive level. I mean, I met all these chairmen of boards and CEOs would be coming out here all the time, and they couldn't care less about anything, not even their own shareholders, mm. except to pump up the share price so they could be able to get rid of their shares at the right time, retire and, 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 and binge live. And I really felt that I, I had trouble continuing on this path. And so I wanted to stop being a lawyer, working for these corporations and use those skills in other areas on environment, on social change. And so it was it was something I had to make a decision with. Okay. And that decision occurred in the year 2001 at the beginning of the millennium. And it just came with the idea of let's let's just stop everything and go searching for Shangri-La. It sounds like a crazy idea, but that was the turning point. Great. So it was that was kind of my follow up question. It was it was like a a sudden change, or was it like a transition? Was was it were you leading up to this, or you just woke up and decided I'm gonna find Shangri-La? No sudden in any circumstances for anyone is really sudden. It accumulates over time. Okay. So it's sort of like you have this building of something, and then at some point there's just this tipping point. It could be just that tiny spark. In many ways. The coronavirus today is just a tipping point for a whole sequence of events that have been built up in terms of debt, in terms of structures, and it's going to change all those structures. And I guess on, for my story of Shangri-La, it was just a turning point. At a certain point, I was sitting with a very famous pop singer named Ai Jing. We were very good friends and uh, talking about new ideas for her music and other things. And suddenly I came up with this idea of searching for Shangri-La and she said, hey, this is incredible. You've got to do it. And the next thing I know is she put together for me my initial team of okay. cinematographers and also brought in Sambal, who was the top, uh, really the top uh, mu music uh, composer in China. He's Mongolian. Wow. And he did all of our music scores for us. And from that point, it was almost like things took over. Uh, you know, you say I was driving it, but it was almost like it was a wave of events that took over. Next thing I knew is a few weeks later, we were in Lhasa filming. Awesome. And the search for Shangri-La had begun, not realizing where it would take us. That's amazing. I mean, I love, I love it too. I mean, you have to follow your, follow, follow, follow your heart, follow trends. Was there any comments from your old corporate life uh, colleagues what, when you announced this? Or what were their thinking? People thought, people thought I was crazy. And I think they thought I was even crazier when years later I moved to the uh, to Lhasa, and from there we set up a number of social enterprises that were in the form of heritage hotels, 
and then we opened up medical clinics and then we set up a program for education. We raised funds for eye operations and we began what would become the very beginning of a social enterprise concept. At that time, I was very close with Mohammed Yunus and we were working on this as the concept. Later now, it's called impact investing today. In those days, we called it social entrepreneurship. And I remember friends in the investment banking community, the banking community in Hong Kong, really looking at me like I was crazy and saying, <laughs> well, now you're, you know, what, what are you doing? You're, you're shoveling yak manure with farmers. I mean, they really looked down upon it and what we were doing. But actually, when you look at what we were initiating, I do feel that after coronavirus and we restructure our global economy, every company is going to have to be an impact investment enterprise. We're going to have to be running our businesses with the same kind of concept about how we impact environment, social, health factors, as much as we think about profit. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Ultimately, hope- that's our profit. Ultimately, our profit is in our environment. Our profit is in social health. Our profit is in the next generation. Um, that is our biggest asset, and we're just not investing into it. I like it. I hope, I hope, I hope that's true. I hope that happens because so many times people forget about, you know, they, they know they're supposed to be on a diet. They know they're supposed to do good things for the environment, but then they, you know, they watch a movie or they hear a speaker and then they go back to their normal life the next day, you know, but I hope, I, I think this one is a big one, right? This virus has been around. It's affecting people's lives, work, business, everything. So it does seem like this one's got to be big enough to make people really make a change. Um, we mentioned a few times in the name Shambhala, uh, and this is where I get to kind of blame my audience, but I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not so familiar with Shangri-La, and I know if I'm not, then probably most of our listeners aren't so much either. So if you could fill, I, I think most of us think of the five-star hotel, you know, to be honest, the, uh, the, the, the international hotel. Um, I'd, I'd love to maybe give, give listeners a little bit of a Shangri-La or a Shambhala 101 kind of so they can understand um, some of the basics. The term Shangri-La was first coined by someone named James Hilton in a book he wrote called Lost Horizons. I think it was written around 1931 or something like that. And it then became one of the earliest blockbuster Hollywood movies. And it talked about a plane that crashed in the Himalayas and the survivors found this you know, wonderful kingdom Something like Bhutan, where yeah. you have na- gross national happiness. Everybody cares for everyone else. Everyone's happy. Everyone uh, puts out. There's enormous care for the environment. There's a lot about gender empowerment, women's rights in that book. There's a lot of these these factors. And hello? I'm here. I'm yeah, here. Yeah, the video cut now. for a sec. But There's it's, it's... a lot of these, these elements in the book. And what? where did he get these ideas from? Actually... He'd never been to Asia, never been to the Himalayas. Most of this came from reports of Joseph Rock, National Geographic's first bureau chief in China, in Yunnan province, who lived in Lijiang and traveled extensively in the uh, Tibetan and ethnic, ethnic regions. And his reports came into the, you know, the British Library where Hilton basically borrowed these ideas. And Shangri-La is basically a pinion 
you could say like, you know, we say, you know, Jiang Jieshi, the Guomindang general is called Chiang uh, Kai-shek in English, or, you know, Mao Zedong is called Mao Zedong, you know, it's really a misspelling of Shambhala, which is a core concept, which comes up in, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, but is also shared by a number of the cultures of the Himalayas. It's also in the Hindu concept. It's, it's, it's out there and it's very much part of the Himalayan worldview. Great. What is it? Great. So <laughs> it sounds beautiful. And, uh, you know, we've actually connected through my, my amazing wife, Wendy, and we've traveled a bit, um, nothing like you have, but we've gone to um, some different places. We were in uh, Kathmandu, and then we went to the birthplace of Buddha, or one of the birthplaces. I'm forgetting the Lumbini, name. Lumbini, right. Well, yes. And uh, the tree, and... Uh, there was like the where he was born. They had this kind of like fallen apart like building that they you know you could go in and uh, and see the see the structure of where he was born and um, it was pretty amazing. And there's so much of this. I, I wonder like back to this whole corporate and profit first is is this like a east versus west kind of thing? Is this is Shangri La and or Shambhala and this you know, this environment, is this an Eastern kind of th thought process? And then most of us... Core in the Shambhala, core in the Shambhala teachings is the concept of non-duality. A very important concept of Shambhala is the Kala Chakra wheel of time and space. And the idea that there is no time, there is no space, so that everything is an interconnected matrix. It's an interconnected matrix over time over distances and if you look at an economic level what happens with you know a, a ride in kenya maybe affecting coffee prices somewhere else maybe affecting you going to starbucks everything's interconnected and in that respect it's really changing our outlook and working in a positive way respecting the environment respecting other people making sure those that don't have have and building an interconnected, synergistic, harmonious world. And this is really what the core concept of Shambhala is. So it's not really a place that you have to go searching for and have to find beyond the mountains, beyond the clouds. It can be created right here, right now, anytime, just by switching, switching on and, and being aware of what you're doing and how it affects others. And we can, each individual can be creating Shambhala every second, every moment that we live and beyond. And so this is really the core concept. And so I think right now the coronavirus, again, brings this into, into, into focus because the Shambhala prophecies are about a time when greed destroys the planet and we have to rebuild it and rebuild it as Shambhala. And I think now, as I said, we're building it where every business is an impact investor. Everybody is working in a different mindset than we did before. And just as the virus knows no borders, maybe a lot of our mental borders, ideologies need to come down. We need to be thinking as an integrated whole in the human race. So the core thinking of Western thinking and Asian thinking in this is Asian thinking that derives from this concept is non-duality. There's yin and there's yang, but you have to have the yin and the yang. They have to be working together. There's no black and white. There's no right or wrong. There is. There is. What is the situation right now? 
how do we how do we transform it as opposed to a western thinking which over the from the feudal period on in europe very much became right wrong good bad you us them uh black or white you're either a capitalist or you're communist you're not both you can't you know you can't be um planning a market economy all of these things are um barriers to our own perception of the world and ourselves and so it's really trying to break those down and have this yin yang view of the world uh which is i think at the core of the shambhala okay this is great i like yeah i i agree I, you know again with with wendy i always watch these movies um and documentaries so i see the whole idea of we are yeah every, there's no individual there's no i right in 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 like buddhist thinking or in eastern thinking there's um you're, yeah we're all part of the one system we're all part of this system whereas like western or maybe it seems the way i most most westerners are raised is there's there's me and this is mine and this is my food and this is my clothes and this is i am here and this is now and it's all about me usually or me, me this is yours this is mine this is the line right like that's kind of how i remember my western life <laughs> one of the most important stages in practice in the tibetan buddhist practices is a is a is a process called uh top which is basically to destroy your ego to try and eliminate that and think in a multifaceted interconnected way where you're part of a universal matrix you're not just the only person me first type of thing i think that's really where our planet's going to have to go it's getting too many people too crowded not enough resources not enough water and the coronavirus is just a harsh reminder of many things we have to do now to change our economic models and in many cases our social perspectives let's talk about your experience so you left court you know the, the lead lawyer hot shot lawyer you know central hong kong uh, beijing tra travels and multinational corporations and you went to lasi and started searching for shangri-la do you want to give us a little bit of a idea of how that how that experience went and how the journey went oh it's transformational for me because you know we didn't know what shangri-la was we we had an idea that came from this book uh we traveled all around the you know to you know the himalayan plateau asking one question where is shangri-la and it was really amazing the variety of answers we got and then we did a second we did a film we did a film we did a book i did a book um we did a film series we did a you know cd we came up with music and then uh we decided to do a second expedition and that second expedition was to go and find uh joseph rocks own materials and then match it to the book lost horizon and really figure out what um you know joseph rock was reporting what he saw through his eyes and what james hilton was extrapolating from those reports to become the myth of shangri-la in lost horizon but during that journey a really interesting thing happened and we suddenly really became aware that shangri-la was shambhala and this tibetan concept 
uh, or this Vajrayana Buddhist concept of the Shambhala realm and the entire story of the age of Kali or age of destruction that we're in now really became apparent. And then we did then a third film, a third documentary called the Shambhala Sutra, because there is a sutra that has all these prophecies. And we went looking for the sutra in Western Tibet. And we went all the way out to what's the lost kingdom of Guga, which is a mysterious kingdom because it rises out of the desert and it's all abandoned. And we tried to, you know, was that Shambhala? You know, we were still searching for a physical place. Now, fast forwarding after setting up a social enterprise and the Himalayan consensus, Silk Spice Road dialogue, different, um, you know, multilateral working groups. Um, we, you know, working on environment and technology. And that's where I put my lawyer skills then for many years is working on environmental policy, working in uh, environmental negotiations. But a few years ago, in 2017, we had the idea of doing a new series of films, Searching for the Lotus Born Master, and the story of Guru Padma Sambhava, or in Chinese, Liu Hashan Dasher, the Lotus Born Master, who is the father of Vajrayana Buddhism, and asking whether he might also be the father of quantum physics. And looking at the multidimensional matrix, not just from an economic point of view, but from an electromagnetic field point of view, how is everything interconnected at a level of science as well as a level of economics? Okay, amazing. So, so yeah, you kind of went through the whole last, you know, really quickly. Thank you for that uh, journey. So, so then you have a few documentaries and that was up until 2017. And we've been seeing, for those that are watching the video version of this, we've seen a couple of your outside, your courtyard, and now your studio. Can you share where, where, you're, where you are now, like where we are now in this journey? Sure. So we've done two films in the series about Guru Padma Sambhava, the Lotus Born Master. The first, we went searching for his own journey. He was born in Pakistan. He lived in India, Nepal, Bhutan, and eventually he came to... Uh, Tibet, and he traveled all over the western regions of China. There's even records of him in Donghuang teaching these concepts that we call today Tibetan Buddhism or Vajrayana Buddhism. And really, we're asking the question, his eight manifestations or his eight appearances, because he always appears in eight different types of images, are these representing eight quantum energy fields? And was he the father of quantum physics? Or if we want to ask the question differently, are tra the traditional wisdom that we can find in Buddhism, that we can find also in Hindu, that we can find in shamanism, is this built on concepts of understanding universal phenomena that are also as scientific as the empirical science that emerged really just over maybe 150 years ago, 200 years ago at the most, that process of emerging? And was the empirical Newtonian science rejecting a lot of things that could not be explained because they can't be explained and therefore not understanding them? And when we start to look at quantum physics and we start to look at technologies today, we start to look at the interconnectivity of all the different fields we're now discovering because we're realizing that in addition to electromagnetic fields, there's all kinds of fields out there that 
you know, we are now beginning, just beginning to understand, did ancient knowledge know something we didn't know? And should we be listening to some of that in terms of also their teachings about environment, interconnectivity of everything? And so we've done two films on the Lotus Born Master. We're now working on the third film. And what we're doing right now every day is we're working on a different film. We're working on something called Searching for Kung Fu, okay. which is looking at the Chinese martial arts and international martial arts as they're practiced uh, and looking at it not just as fighting, not just as, oh, you know, martial arts ultimately became MMA and UFC. That's not as important as the philosophies behind that and how those philosophies are part of health body, mind, spirit, well-being. And at a time like coronavirus, when not everybody can have access to medical care, where medical care has become actually, in some places, in some countries, only exclusive for the elite or the rich, everyone needs to be able to have preventive medicine. And a lot of that comes down to techniques of breathing, of conditioning, of mind, of being able to use your mind to control your energies, to control your health. And I think right now, this is going to be the beginning also of a revival of many traditional techniques that have proved over time, you know, people can be in top physical condition, even without a gym, if they know how to do these techniques and they know how to take care of themselves. These are ancient solutions for the future. And I think this is what we're doing now. Great. It's really exciting. Okay. So, you know, just I'm sure our listeners are wondering what what can they? Of course, we could. I'd love to maybe link or share how people could could uh, watch or consume your content, your 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 works. Uh, is there some actions people could take? You know, a lot. Just keep in mind, a lot of our listeners are like e-commerce sellers, business. You know, entrepreneurs. You know, it's English language, so it's Westerners maybe either in Asia or want to do business in Asia, what, what, what can they do or what, 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 what things? My biggest message is how can we use the technology positively? Because I see a lot of technology being used for negative purposes. I watch what my kids turn on the video. They're looking at YouTube. They're looking at stuff. A lot of it's hate. A lot of it's anger. I see it all the time. And I also see that this is very much part of a process of programming our youth to think in a way that fits into the politics today, mm. anger, greed. I mean, the idea that people should be driving fancy cars all the time and having lots of gold chains and wealth. And I don't know if this is a standard for a good person or not. I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think that these are creating artificial goals and objectives. And they're telling people these are the values you should have. And when are we going to start to have videos that are showing people rebuilding communities, going out and uh, working on new energy systems? And having been a lawyer doing a lot of advisory work on green energy, on environmental issues, I can say the core issue right now is how to convert the grids. It's the cell phones. It's the computers that are sucking up energy like crazy, like it's never been used on this planet before rare earth, other materials, and they're not being replenished. And that energy is coming most of the time from fossil fuels. And if we're going to be using electrical appliances for our communication, because that's all these things are as electrical appliances, but they're very um, 
misusing tech, you know, energy appliances. We have to start to then have technologies that can solve this problem. Every single cell phone should have as its panel, solar panels. That technology exists. It can be used. People should boycott until they produce that because you need to be able to have, let's have action to be able to solve these problems right now. You know, everything that involves renewable energy involves big data. Data is core. Data is core to energy uh, efficiency. And we need to be putting the innovation into these areas. And this is where innovation can occur. Right now, the innovation is not occurring in this area. Innovation is all about consumption. It's all about how quick you can get a Coke delivered to you <laughs> or a coffee, or it's an entertainment which is violent and anger inciting. When are we going to have entertainment that's teaching people to work together? I want to see something like that come out. I want to see something that's unifying us rather than tearing us apart. And that's what Shambhala is all about. That's what the journey to Shangri-La is all about. And technology can be the greatest force for improvement, or it could be the cause of a lot of the problems that we're plunging into right now. Okay, this is great. Yeah, hopefully this motivates some listeners uh, and viewers to take action to maybe the next product they sell is more, like you said, maybe if they're an inventor, entrepreneur, doing a new product or design, just try to think more about sustainability, impact investing, or like you mentioned, or, or uh, you know, it's so true though, like the videos now are all, I guess that's what the human brain likes that, I guess, wants to watch, because they say they make the video to get people to keep watching, right? So they say that they keep making these apps so that you stay on the app longer, you don't leave, you, you're checking your notifications, you're checking the, the feed, you're checking, you know, what somebody said on your posts, you know, or the newest article. It's creating a lot of emotion, a lot of instability in, in young people, you know, mm. a, a lot of, you know, my, my, my children's, you know, they talk with their kids, their friends about how, you know, they're emotionally disturbed by the stuff on Instagram. They feel insecure. They have, heck, you know, when I was a kid, we used to go out hiking and camping and we would go up into the mountains and we yeah. would learn how to even do survival camping. And that's, sometimes I just tell the kids, put your phone away, throw it out, just walk away from it, have yeah. time for yourself connect back to this planet and then use the technology intelligently to save the planet because if we don't we're not going to have a planet to live on very soon and the coronavirus is bringing this right to our face it's Agreed. bringing it right home Agreed. in this case i have to say i compliment the chinese they used 5g they used a lot of big data to get control of the virus to do the quarantine systems and in many ways it was very simple application of the technologies but it was putting it in the right place to solve a problem. And in America right now, we have a huge problem with the coronavirus. It's totally out of control. And America is a country where we're supposed to be leading the world on technology. Mm -hmm. It's because it's not because we're not leading the world on technology. It's because it's been used in the wrong way. Yeah. And now we have to use it in the right way. We have to change our perception. I don't want to get too political, but you know, some people feel worry about the data. Where is the data going? Who's using it? Who's accessing it? You know, of course, it can be used for good, like controlling the virus, but it can also be used for for bad. You know, that's a that's a fear that people have. The only safe computer in the world is one that stays in the box and is never opened. As soon as you open your Apple, as soon as you open your computer and you turn it on. 
people are sucking your data. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, Agreed. they're all taking it. They're all, and who owns these companies? Ultimately, big state, because they're supported by quantitative easing, now repo funding, which is effectively treasury debt, which goes mm. into the stock market. So in many ways, they themselves are beholden to the state apparatus. And yeah. if you look at what happened with, you know, I mean, you look at Cambridge Analytica, you know, case as an example, nothing safe. All forms, anyone who accesses your data, anyone who picks up a cell phone and uses it is giving away their own information that can be used by anyone, whether it's a state or a hacker, they can use it. And this stuff's so easy to hack into. I mean, the, the mythology that you have security is a complete joke. Mm -hmm. And so the reality here is we each, every single individual have to put our mind in the right space. And if we're starting to have people whose mind is contaminated with ideas of hatred, anger, all these things are being disseminated. Of course, they're going to hack. They're going to use this stuff wrong. And so if we can start to have a momentum of movement toward using this stuff in the correct way, then we're going to change things. And I think that's what's the bottom line of it. Your security on your, on your appliances never secure unless you don't use an appliance. If you completely walk away from this stuff, which I do a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah. you go up in the mountains, <laughs> yeah. then no one's watching you Sounds and listening awesome. to you. But if you're even holding it, you know, of course, it's being used. And so now is the time for us to recognize that, not to fool ourselves and say, okay, each and every one of us in the Shambhala tradition has to join hands as a unified field of all of us and start to use this stuff in the right way. Agreed. Okay, well, Lawrence, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of your, your we've been talking for a while, a little while, uh, and I appreciate your time. Um, maybe some some words. How can people find find more about your projects and what you're working on? I know ShambalaStudios.com, right? Is is a space or that's probably the easiest way to follow us. Okay, um, ShambalaStudio.com. Also, there's Shambala Studio on WeChat, um, okay. on uh, TikTok, on other other different platforms. Those are usually short videos, little little snippets of what we're doing. We try and share as we go along in our journey so that other people can share in that journey. Okay. And uh, hey, we all take the journey together. Sure. And then just so we get some more, I should have brought up at the beginning, but your location, your, where, where are you? You're in Beijing? Or right now I'm in the Shambhala studio in Beijing. This is in central Beijing. It's okay. right in the old neighborhood, the old Hutong, we call it the yeah, old alleyway. Yeah back Ming Qing dynasty and uh, this is our you know central studio for our work here we are post-production editing and planning great we also have a studio out at the Great Wall a beautiful studio which is also a martial arts <laughs> studio and a retreat center for meditation for martial arts for yoga oh. and the Shambhala studio there is where we do a lot of our production for okay. the uh, searching for Kung Fu and other um, you know, again, uh, Kung Fu martial arts related uh, programs that we have in, in on staff, you can say. Great. We also have a studio in Kathmandu, right okay. by Boda, which is the uh, the great white stupa in Kathmandu. And that studio, we can have a place called Shambhala Cafe. So anybody who's in Kathmandu wow. wants a nice cup of uh, 
latte can uh, wow. come to uh, I wish I had known that. Cafe in our studios just upstairs. So I was there a couple so years much. ago in that white. I think I know what you're talking about. The white. You can walk around and ring the bell, and then it's a really beautiful all white, like huge statue. Yeah, it was amazing. We're right near that stat that that stupa, and uh, that's where we do a lot of our, you know, most of our expeditions launch from there. That's our studio for our field work. Okay, great. All right, Lawrence. Thanks again for sharing with us, and uh, and good luck with your 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 next uh, documentary. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, Lawrence. Are you enjoying this show? Enjoying what we're doing here, and want to connect with myself and others in our cool little club we have gfa vip that means global from asia vip.com where we have a private forum we have private calls and group sessions and private groups i try to put discounts i mentioned some of these online courses i have and i'm also doing more and more for other communities where i try to give you discounts or freebies or special access to those things for our members if you're interested to get on the inside and work with us and get to know me and the others more on the inner circle. <laughs> Check it out at www.gfavip.com. Thank you, Lawrence. That's pretty cool, huh? So he's got studios in Beijing and the Great Wall and in Kathmandu. I remember being in Kathmandu with Wendy. Actually, uh, Lawrence, I got connected to from Wendy, my wife. Uh, she has a Buddhist style or, or you know, mindfulness wechat channel and she's always sharing his his work and uh, they connected which is pretty wild and so we got him on the show hopefully i can meet him sometime soon he did even offer to have us be able to do some events at the great wall wouldn't that be some wild things we could get us all together at the great wall for some kung fu and mindfulness and talk business and masterminds as far as events right now, I think we'll just take a little bit of a break from trying to promote events right now. We just don't know where things are going. Uh, I've been doing quite a bit of online events. Last week, I was on a Global Sources Virtual Summit with uh, Ash and Renault, which was really cool. Megaluk was our host. Thanks thanks for having us, as well as a, as a session there. And I was on a Work From Home initiative with Andy and Ace Estrada in the Philippines about more about for local Philippines about what they're going to do with this COVID-19 and how people adjust there. And I was also uh, with Andy Lee and FBA ULAS, which is a great network of Amazon sellers and training in Southeast Asia, talking about from diversifying from Amazon or building out some affiliate sites or, or content sites and converting them into e-commerce sites. So a lot of online training I did this last week, all online. Everybody's moving to online. So thinking about how to adjust that ourselves here. But I do appreciate you guys all listening to this. And uh, I'm starting to, you know, really adapt. You know, like last week I mentioned Ching... Ching uh, Joe, actually, I connected her and Lawrence together, and uh, they're chatting too now. They have some very similar mindsets and ways of operating and thinking, which is pretty awesome. That's what it's all about: is connecting good people together. I am still really going through a whole transformation. I hope you guys and girls enjoyed last week's show, where we talk about that and. I've been listening to that that uh, MP3 that Ching made 
all night on repeat and when I wake up and when I, before I go to sleep. So I hope we're all more appreciative and have gratitude. I'm really grateful you are all choosing to download and listen to this show. And I hope you are maybe moving more closer towards what you want to do. I mean, maybe the next business you do, you'll think about sustainability, thinking about the environment, thinking about helping other people, educating other people. I am also working on thinking about that myself. So I think that's all for this week. I will keep our blah, blah, blah session a little short and uh, just still really thinking about where to go. I mean, sticking around Shenyang. I have some people, you know, a lot of people are interested to have me come back down to Shenzhen. But, uh, you know, it's the wife and kids don't really want to move right now and still kind of just readjusting. But it's freezing cold. Wendy says it's not this cold usually in late April uh, in Shenyang. So... She says it's global warming and that the world, you know, is punishing us with this virus to try to have us to be better and nicer to the earth and to the environment, which is fair enough. We have been very um, not appreciative, like Lawrence was saying. We're not really appreciating what we're given. We're, we're put on this earth and we have all these resources and, you know, we, we're humans are most of the time not not thoughtful and not not grateful so i hope we can all become that like zach frankel is he sent me a picture of his roped off pool in his complex in bangkok and he says i'll be much more appreciative of this pool when it's reopened i think we all will be more appreciative of that thank you all for listening and i will see you next week we have a bunch of amazing interviews coming up It's always hard for me to decide which one to go to next. I'm still deciding for next week's, but maybe it'll be more business related. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week and day and night or morning whenever you're listening to this. Goodbye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.